Hey Rebels, oh boy, today I wish you had the video version of the podcast. I'm going to take you through about 10 short videos about Chinese high-tech, about how it's used facial recognition, gait recognition, how you walk, emotion recognition, searching by face, terrifying things. Um, I think you'll get the gist of it from the podcast, but boy, if you had the premium video, you'd see exactly what I'm talking about. Please go to premium.rebelnews.com. It's eight bucks a month, well worth it, I think. And especially on shows like today, I really want to show you what they're doing in China with TikTok, with Huawei, with drones, things that we don't yet see here in Canada and the United States, but I'm sure we will soon. That's at premium.rebelnews.com. Okay, here's today's podcast. Tonight, yesterday I showed you China's new aircraft carrier. Now let me show you how they use high-tech to spy on their own people. It's December 18th and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Yesterday, I showed you how China's aircraft carrier program is coming along. They've just commissioned their second aircraft carrier, the Shandong. What I'm showing you here is their first aircraft carrier, the Liaoning. They have a third one under construction, and I doubt that will be the last. That's what you do when you want to dominate the world, the waters around China itself, when you want to lay claim to islands that aren't yours, to fishing rights that aren't yours, when you want to utterly dominate Vietnam and Taiwan and the Philippines and frankly any other middle power. But it's also what you do when you start to put your thumb on the scale farther away from home. Right now, when a U.S. Navy carrier battle group sails into the Persian Gulf or the Mediterranean Sea, it immediately becomes the biggest military force in the region, whether that's aimed at terrorist groups or countries. Why wouldn't China start doing that? They practically own parts of Africa, like Sudan, for example. They own a significant stake in Sudanese oil. They sell Sudan its military equipment. Much of the world put sanctions on Sudan because of their genocide in Darfur, but China didn't care. Actually cared a lot because it got to buy oil at below world market prices. Same thing happened with the sanctions on Iran. China didn't obey them. So they bought that sanctioned oil at a deep discount because the West wouldn't buy it. What happens, though, if there's a big conflagration in the Sudan or Iran or, heck, even parts of the Caribbean where China is increasingly active? Remember when Donald Trump mused about buying Greenland from Denmark? It wasn't just a joke. China had been trying to build major airfields in Greenland, and those were proceeding until American intervention That tweet from Trump might have looked like a laugh to the Trump-hating media, but imagine if China were to have had access to air bases in Greenland. I think Trump's tweet stopped some of that ambition on their part. China controls much of the Panama Canal. Imagine if China parked its navy off the coast of the Panama Canal, or right in the middle of it. China controls about half the free trade zone around the canal. I'm, I'm worried about these things. China is by far the largest military threat 
to the West. It doesn't have the same nuclear missile arsenal that Russia has, but I think it's much more likely that China will use its military against the West and our allies than Russia would ever use its nukes, don't you? Well, the thing is, aircraft carriers and other weapons of war are what you use against foreign countries, foreign militaries. China's not dominant yet. America still is, and America's ally, the UK, is too. And hopefully, India can rise to become a proper regional counterweight to China, and hopefully Japan will take its responsibilities, and South Korea and Taiwan too. But a battle that is happening right now is being fought in a different way, and I'm talking about China's war against its own people. We've seen a taste of that in Hong Kong recently. Remember, Hong Kong is absolutely legally, constitutionally a part of China again. There's no border anymore. There's a boundary, but that's just an imaginary line. It's all Chinese. And China wants to stamp out the freedom virus in Hong Kong before it spreads. They haven't gone full Tiananmen Square yet. I think there are genuine reasons for that. I think world opinion would be so shocked that the diplomatic and trade reaction would be so dramatic that China would immediately fall into a recession, and that could actually lead to uprisings in China. And I think that unlike the heart of Beijing, where Tiananmen Square is, where the democracy protesters in, in Beijing were limited in number, and I think they were somewhat unsophisticated, Hong Kong's people are sophisticated. And there's so many of them, and they're so unanimous. They know what's going on. They're committed to their cause. So although it would be an extremely lopsided battle, modern tanks and guns versus literally bows and arrows. That's what Hong Kongers were using at uh, a protest that was stormed by Chinese police last month. I think Hong Kongers would actually win that military battle, however lopsided it is. But what about China nipping things in the bud before they go pear-shaped, as the Brits say, before there's a democratic wave in China proper? What if China could have a battlefield not of guns and aircraft carriers, and even bows and arrows, but a battlefield of the internet, of apps, a battlefield of the mind, really. Well, that's happening right now. I've shown you this clip before from a Chinese bullet train. Dear passengers, people who travel without tickets or behave disorderly or smoking public areas will be punished according to regulations, and the behavior will be recorded in the individual credit information system. Avoid any negative record of personal credit. Please follow the relevant regulations and help with the orders on the train and at the station. So everything is linked in China to your database. If you do anything wrong, not just crimes, of course, but anything antisocial, like on the train, it goes on a central government file that you can never erase. You can never even check it. You obviously can't appeal it. This is China. And the government there even brags about how it uses the database, denying people train tickets, plane tickets, denying them the ability to rent an apartment. Now in Beijing, you have to be visually scanned, your face scanned, even get internet hooked up at home. Imagine that. You can't live somewhere or get on the internet because of something you said online once, some place you went once, some friend you have. Now, there are some amazing and positive uses of high technology, even in China, but there are an equal number of awful uses. If you think of man's purpose in life as just being an atom in the world, just a cog in the machine, whose real purpose in life is to obey and produce and consume 
and be part of this establishment and think approved thoughts and just be an economic unit, just add to the GDP. You'll love China these days. But otherwise, it's a bit like a sci-fi dystopia. I don't know if you saw that movie way back in 2002 called Minority Report, where Tom Cruise is, there's this one scene where he's walking through a mall that has not facial recognition, but optical recognition. It scanned your eyes for your retina And so the mall had speakers that called out Tom Cruise's name as he walked through it because they could identify him. It was creepy and freaky, and in that scene he was actually running from the police so he had someone else's eyeballs put in his head. I know it was sci-fi, but pretty much has come true in less than 20 years. We don't have retina scanners in malls, I don't think. Um, no, we have full facial recognition everywhere, which is why Hong Kong protesters wore masks to hide their face from police. But I recently discovered the social media feed of someone named Matthew Brennan. He's a commentator and pundit on technology in China, and he publishes little videos and other thoughts about him. He's deep into it. We'll invite him on the show, and I hope he accepts. I wonder if he'd be comfortable being on Rebel News, given our views on Hong Kong freedom and how closely Brennan himself studies Chinese surveillance technology. I'm guessing he won't risk coming on. He doesn't want to hurt his social credit. But let me show you some videos I've simply culled from his social media feed because they are fascinating to me. Here is one. This Chinese app is a teenager's worst nightmare. It's a way to track people you love and when they move. Yeah, so it could be a way to make sure a child is at school or the child is now done school walking to grandma's place. <laughs> or obviously it could be a way for police to track you. Chinese face recognition vending machine. No cash, card, or phone needed. What handy technology, hey? No need to even bring a wallet or phone, but that's, that's pure minority report. This is a vending machine, but how many surveillance cameras can track you just like that? Well, the answer is all of them can. Chinese artificial intelligence company Megvi's intelligent class solution, facial and emotion recognition powered cameras track students every move and expression. 考勤行为分析一体机
，帮助老师了解学生的课堂动态情绪变化及心理特征，以便调整教学内容和教学进度，实现对学生针对性教学指导，为学生带来更好的学习体验。Now, so far, according to this video, it's just a proposal, but to literally scan the faces of students all the time, all the time. Now there was happy music in the background, but imagine your every move, your every expression, your every glance, your every word being tracked. Now these are students, so they're minors, but of course they'll do this to adults too. Same technology. I I I hope you put duct tape over your webcam and your laptop like I do.、Uh, this video is pretty clear about、um, you know the implications of. Living in a world of ubiquitous AI-driven facial recognition and computer vision, no possible way to skip class anymore. Class monitoring system clocks you in the minute you walk through the door. So, punishments if you're not a good student. You're late. It clocked you in. You leave early, clocked you in. Social credit starts as a kid. Now I can see the use for tracking people sometimes, like children, to make sure no one other than kids gets entry into a school, to make sure a kid doesn't run away. Like here, Chinese elementary school facial recognition system in action, Shenzhen. And here's another one: elementary school deployment of facial recognition technology, Nanjing, China. Looks like a lot of Chinese schools do that. Looks like that's fully deployed. But don't think they won't use that for grown-ups too to get onto a bus, a subway, a plane, a train to cross the street. They are using it for those things. Look at this: Chinese facial recognition system to discourage minor traffic violations. Cross the road when you shouldn't, and a picture of you with your name, ID card number, pop up on the big screen for everyone to see. So you're being named and shamed, and of course that's being added to your database, your social credit. Here's a vid where they have some sort of spray, some sort of lasers. Chinese cities experimenting with tech to stop jaywalking pedestrians at busy intersections. Um, even if you cover your face, they have something called gate recognition. You can sort of tell by how someone walks who they are, right? We know that instinctively. Different people in our family, we can tell who's walking up the stairs just by how it sounds, how they walk, what what they look like. Of course, the sound of it. They do that in China now, on mass, using AI. Let me. Quote what Brennan says: Even without face recognition, you can still be tracked through gate recognition. Data on the clothes you wear can also be used by stores to provide accurate product sales recommendations. <laughs> ding ding.
here's the next one. Sometimes that uh, technology can be great. I mean, Chinese fire service testing drones as way to help fight fires in high-rise apartment buildings. Uh, you can order food in the same way. In China, it's possible to get KFC delivered to you by drone. Probably some parts in America, too. KFC Subway, Chinese noodles delivered by automated drone within 25-kilometer radius, Hangzhou, China. I'm sure there's places in America, I just don't live in one. But you doubt that in China, authorities use flying drones to spy on you too, whether it's in an apartment window or on the ground. Well, of course they do already. Look at this. Chinese traffic police using drones with loudspeakers. That is right out of sci-fi. Okay, let's go. <laughs> now, obviously, Huawei, China's leading tech company, is at the forefront of much of this. Uh, here's one about that. Huawei phones tailored for use by Chinese police. The mobile phone can collect and identify faces in real time, verify ID cards, and has multiple hardware and software features to ensure information security. even pretending that they're not part of the state security apparatus like IBM was for the Nazis Huawei is for China's dictatorship they'll get rich by enslaving their countrymen and maybe ours look at this I mean sometimes it's just fun Chinese viral deepfakes app Zhao clip of myself as Sheldon generated in a few seconds from a single picture you know, it occurs to me, you could solve all your problems by obtaining more money. <laughs> yes, it occurs to me too. So I don't know if you get what was going on there. Uh, I think that was Third Rock from the Sun, or I forget what show that is. I don't watch it. But you can put your own face into a TV or a movie, sh uh, TV show or a movie, just from a picture. It's a fun app, obviously. But imagine the government uses of that, not just to harvest every face in the country through the app, but imagine the disinformation, the fakes, the lies as necessary, the compromising videos they could fake. Again, it's often just about money. Look at this. Wow, worth watching this. China's largest video platform, Tencent Video, 97 million paying China subscribers, will begin inserting extra ads into movies, series that didn't exist in the original.
Yeah, sometimes it's just about money. I mean, everyone wants to get rich. Here's one of the richest men in China, Jack Ma. Jack Ma confirms the truth of an old Chinese internet saying, Alibaba makes their money from women, Tencent makes their money from kids. Yeah, that's the secret source of Alibaba's success. Even today, more than 60% of the shoppers on Alibaba, they're women, but they buy things for their husband, for their parents, for their kids. Men only buy for themselves. Men only buy for themselves. <laughs> All right. But um, you don't make it rich in China off women or kids without doing whatever the Communist Party tells you to do, including handing over all your information. It, it looks fun. Look at this. China restaurant automation. It looks fun. I do worry about people being put out of work by machines, but I guess that's happened since the time of the steam engine, since the mechanical loom. It's progress, I guess, but at some cost. I wouldn't want to live like this. The legendary space capsule-style hotel Shenzhen, China. 56 renminbi a night, less than $8 US. But I suppose living in a pod like a bug is better than living like a peasant in a hut. I, th I think, at least. In China, everything is for sale. I suppose that kind of crony capitalism is better than crony communism. It's, it's a little bit happier. Look at this. Chinese TikTok now has in-video search. Search someone's face to find more videos of them. Search in-video products or clothes and buy directly. <laughs> Imagine that. Did you see that? So you just see a face in a video and, and you touch it and you can search for anything. What's that shirt? Who's that person? That's very powerful. Powerful for police too. China dominates tech more than I knew. Maybe more than you knew. Uh, look at this. Top apps worldwide by downloads. China's killing it. Now look at that. A lot of those companies you probably recognize. Facebook, WhatsApp, YouTube. But look at the ones in the red boxes there. Those are Chinese apps. A lot of them are for commerce and chat and are big in China, but TikTok, the number two app in the world right now, sold on Apple phones and Android phones, it's Chinese. And it's used by people across Canada, United States, Europe, the world. And all that data is going back to a Chinese company. Did you hear a while back about Facebook considering launching its own currency? I think they were going to call it the Libra. I think that's terrifying. Imagine if you had thousands of dollars in Libra currency and suddenly you were deplatformed by Mark Zuckerberg for political reasons. Terrifying to me. Well, look at this. Look at this. People's Bank of China may be the first central bank in the world to issue sovereign digital currency, declared by Huang Qifan, vice chairman of China's Center for International Economic Exchanges. Everybody wants to get rich, like Mark Zuckerberg does. A Chinese digital currency used by every Chinese person on their Chinese cell phones, that would be huge. That would rival the American dollar, maybe even exceed it. But more than that, it likely wouldn't be a cryptocurrency. They said digital currency, not cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrencies are designed to be untraceable, untrackable. 
I'm guessing a Chinese digital currency would be the opposite. It would likely be absolutely fingerprinted. So the government would know every penny, every yuan you ever earned, you ever spent, who you spent it on, and on what, and when, and whom, and who they spent it on, everything. Imagine if your money could talk about you, digitally speaking. No need for spies. Your whole life is spying on you. You're spying on yourself through your actions, your phone, your face, your money, your emotions, as that one scan suggested. Look, it's fun, a lot of it. TikTok is hilarious. There are so many funny videos on there, most of them 15 seconds long, perfect for the millennial attention span. And all of that data, billions of views sent right back to China, add in some commerce and you rule the world. Karl Marx, the original communist, said religion was the opiate of the masses. I think cell phones, the internet, celebrities, games, fun, that's the opiate of the masses. But at least opium itself never told the police everything you said and did and looked at. The internet is no doubt taming Chinese people to keep them down on behalf of the Chinese government. But the internet is also ready to pounce on any Chinese person who doesn't want to be tamed. And as more and more Americans and Canadians use Chinese tech, from Huawei phones and 5G, to the TikTok app, to payment processors, well, don't think you won't be under their thumb too. Stay with us for more. One of our good friends has been on a sort of partisan political leave from us for various months. I'm talking about Professor Salim Mansour, who ran for political office. First, he sought the nomination of the Conservative Party of Canada. What a great catch, a star candidate he would be for them. Alas, he was blackballed by the party without explanation. I think, and I will ask him himself, it's because he was too moderate, too progressive on the subject of Islam. He then ran as a candidate for the People's Party of Canada. A candidate, you probably know who I'm talking about, our friend Salim Mansour, who joins us now via Skype. Salim, great to see you again. Welcome back. Thank you, Ezra. Nice to be back with you. Well, you've had an eventful year. I was thrilled when I heard you were seeking the nomination of the Conservative Party because I think you would be such a resource for them on the kind of progressive patriotic Islam that Canada really needs as a bulwark against radical Islam or jihadist Islam. I was shocked when they turned you away. What happened? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I had my uh, nomination paper submitted in... Uh, 2018, after the provincial election in August 2018, and they sat on that paper till June of 2019, when with one uh, sentence email, the executive director, or I should now call him the former executive director of the Conservative Party, Dustin Van Hook, informed me that I am disallowed from being a candidate for the Conservative Party. No explanation was given. 
but I knew what it was all about because I had been told in a privately arranged or very confidentially arranged meeting with Hamish Marshall in Toronto at the Albany Club. Hamish told me, in fact, he gave me a walking order. He, he, he ordered me that I should uh, hold down my campaign and, and close down my website within 48 hours. Uh, and the reason was that they didn't want an Islamophobe or somebody who would be as attacked as an Islamophobe and, and be disruptive to the campaign. That's so insane because, of course, I know Hamish. He used to be a, a director of Rebel News. He, he was uh, our technical uh, expert that helped us found. Um, it's so odd for him, and he went on to become Andrew Shear's campaign manager, to insinuate that you, a Muslim man, are an Islamophobe. That's chutzpah. That is chutzpah. And, you know, and I'm not particularly blaming Hamish because I'm sure he was there not in his personal capacity, but rather that of the party whose leader is Andrew Scheer. This goes right to the top. Um, the Conservative Party of Canada pushed you, a progressive Muslim, away with the most absurd accusation that you would be an Islamophobe. I find that insane. Well, Ezra, I, I, I don't see myself as quote-unquote progressive. I think that's the word that you're using and whoever wants to use it. Uh, I have devoted my life, at least since 9-11, if not before, but definitely since 9-11, as an anti-Islamist Muslim, anti-Islamist. Uh, the main uh, uh, body of Muslim organizations, pretty much 90% plus of the mosque in North America, the imam in North America, both Sunni and Shia, they are Islamic. That means that they are committed to uh, installing, importing, in whole or in part, piecemeal by piecemeal, uh, uh, the Sharia, which is uh, the Islamic law code, fabricated by Muslims um, in the 9th, 10th, 11th century, uh, to import that medieval, pre-modern uh, code of law into Canada as they're struggling to establish it in the Muslim world, which is the basic fight that is taking place, the fight against uh, the Islamists, that is the Muslim Brotherhood and all its related organization across the Middle East, and in the wider Muslim world, Pakistan, Indonesia, etc., or in the case of Iran, the Shiite version of the Sharia law. And my struggle intellectually has been to oppose Islamism, that this is the fundamental obstacle in the reform of the Muslim world, in the reform of the Muslim world in terms of the transition from a pre-modern world to a modern world. So that's what and you mean by anti-Islamist, and I know that because, of course, I've followed your writings um, for many years in your books, and we've had you on the show. Um, I'm, I didn't know that you had that private meeting with Hamish, and he basically gave you 48 hours to clear out. I was 
uh, I got to be candid, I wasn't completely surprised. I was shocked, but not su surprised if you can understand what I mean. I mean, it was, it was gross what was done to you, but also predictable. I later saw um, Andrew Shear at a Muslim outreach with exactly the folks you just described. In fact, I recognized one of the Muslim leaders, Omar Subadar, and I recognized him because he is famous for giving lectures and writing scholarly works, instructions for Muslims in Canada on the proper way to beat their wives. So I've studied Omar Subadar. So Andrew Shear has no time for you a defender of Canadian values against Islamism. You're anti-Islamist, but he had plenty of time for Omar Subadar, shown here in this photo, who is a professional wife-beating coach. I thought that was just the, the depressing moment of the campaign for me, one of many depressing moments. What did you think of that? Well, I, well, absolutely, uh, um, Ezra. I mean, now, I mean, you can step back and analyze the situation. I mean, you know, and our relationship go back at least 20 years. Um, you were with Stockwell Day. Uh, I was a candidate with Canadian Alliance. My, my relationship goes back to with the Conservative Party to those reform years and the transition to the Unite the Right movement and all of that. And... Many of us, but I would say about myself and, and Muslims like me, held out the possibility and the hope that the Conservative Party will come to an understanding of what the main struggle is in the 21st century, especially after 9-11, that, that brought home the struggle into North America, what was happening in Europe, what was happening in France and Britain, etc., is between the Muslim Brotherhood, that is the Islamist organization, and Muslims who are opposed to it. But the money, the organization, the institutional weight is with the Islamists, with the Muslim Brotherhood. And we were warning, we were saying that, you know, you cannot accommodate to this. Mm -hmm. I remember, Ezra, when uh, Harper was elected uh, in the first major minority government in 2006, he came into office in the background of the Toronto 18 story. Do you recall that? Um, Toronto, Toronto 18 was happening. Right, I mean, right, and, right, 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 yeah. And, and, and he got elected. So we, we tried to warn them. But now in retrospect, I have come to the conclusion that while the Liberal Party is full Monty with the Islamists. In fact, they have become a total ally of the Islamists and the Muslim Brotherhood organization. Yeah. The Conservative Party is heading in not only in the same direction, but simply wants to be the other full Monty. There is no difference anymore between the Conservative Party and, and the Liberal Party. Hmm. And, and that's what we have to understand, I would argue, hmm. where we are in this country. The main challenge going forward, and you saw that in, 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 in the UK election this past week, the Trump election in 2016, what's happening in Europe, is the two elephants in the room, as I have described it, globalism and Islamism. And the Conservative Party 
is in total appeasement of that forces, globalism and Islamism. It will not allow anybody to talk about it in, it's in their ranks. And, of course, the Liberal Party is in full alliance and in, in full complicity with globalism and Islamism. And that's the struggle. And that's the shame of the situation we are in. But apart from PPC, and I'm now, you know, glad that I am with PPC, apart from PPC, there is no conservative party in Canada, a small c conservative party, a party that understands what the challenge is globally in terms of globalism and Islamism, and what the challenge is domestically in Canada. Hmm. That is the rebalancing of our federation, the provincial-federal relationship. Um, we have become a unitary state, right. a centralized state, it's an authoritarian prime minister. This is not simply a liberal prime minister. Harper was no different. Uh, we have a centralized yeah. government and the results we can see. Well, let me ask you this, because uh, you say there's no conservative party in Canada, but Andrew Scheer has indicated that he may step down. Now, he's still living in Stornoway. He's still getting the extra pay that the leader of the opposition gets. He's still hiring and firing. So he is right. very much still the leader. Um, but if he does keep his promise and resign, there will be a leadership race. Do you have an opinion on that race and who should run in it? Well, my opinion is very simple. Whoever becomes a leader will be pretty much selected by the people who run the Conservative Party, the elite force. And the Conservative Party is the twiddle-dum of the twiddle-dee, the liberal. Uh, I would put it very bluntly, uh, Ezra, the Conservative Party is the spare wheel in the contraption of the Laurentian establishment elite. Hmm. That whenever there's a problem with the Liberal Party, the natural governing party of Canada for the last century almost, uh, then the Laurentian elite pulls up this spare wheel from the back trunk of the contraption and puts it in there hmm. to go over the bump when then they can bring back the Liberals. Hmm. We have to replace the Conservative Party. We have to replace them with a true Conservative Party. A small well, I would put it to you, Celine, and that... that's that's the challenge that Canadians face. Exactly what happened in England mm. with with Boris Johnson. He had to clean up the Conservative Party. Right, but he did it from within the Conservative Party. I mean, he went uh, from an outsider to an insider. He purged the the remainers uh, from the caucus. He had a bold campaign, and he won. So he didn't start a new party. He took over an ancient party that under Theresa May was just awful. So, so maybe there is hope, but I think it depends no, on I, the I, I, I see, I see. I, I know, I, I understand your position, uh, Ezra. You, 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 you are in a different situation. I am analyzing for you by stepping back and looking historically and objectively. Right. The hope was there when we, we had the Unite the Right movement uh, and, and we got the Conservative Party uh, constructed, established by bringing the Canadian Alliance, right. the Progressive Conservative. But the Harper decade was a wasted decade. What what we can now say very clearly, uh, Ezra, that Harper was the spare wheel hmm. between the collapsing, uh, 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 scandal-ridden 
Jean Chrétien government with Adscam and Schwanigan and all of that in the 1990s, he handed it over to try to do an internal house cleaning by handing it over to Paul Martin. Paul Martin could not save the party and the party went down. The spare wheel was necessary. Harper was the spare wheel. Huh. Can, well, you, can you think about any single legislative achievement of the Harper decade that stand out as a conservative achievement? I can't, I can't think about anything. Well, now, I, on the I, I, I suppose I would answer that in the, in the negative by saying what we didn't have. We didn't have a national unity crisis. We didn't have uh, a despairing oil patch. We didn't have, there was a, exactly. a, a we, we didn't have a falling apart foreign policy from India to China to Saudi Arabia to America. Exactly. So I would say more, it was, it was the disasters we didn't have. Well, listen, Sleem, I gotta tell you, it's great to catch up with you. I love that you're burning with fire. I hope we can get you on the show again, maybe even doing commentaries. I know you were doing some of that stuff before you ran for office. 2020 is almost here, and I hope that it'll be a year where you weigh in because you got a lot to say. You fight hard. We love you, and we'll never blacklist you, my friend. You're always welcome it's, here at the Rebel. It's, it's, it's the same feeling here, right here, Ezra. I want to wish you a happy Hanukkah, you and your family, uh, and, and all the best for the news for the, this holiday season. And yeah, I look forward to talking with you about this matter and more. Right on. Well, thank you, my friend. Best of the season to you. May you go from strength to strength. You're one of our kind of people. I'll tell you that. We like how you fight, my friend. You speak plainly. You take care of yourself. Thank you, sir. All thank right. You. There you have it. Salim Mansour, professor, former candidate for the PPC and disqualified candidate for the Conservative Party of Canada. Stay with us. More Head on the Rebel. Hey, what do you think of my review of Chinese tech? It was very superficial, I grant you that. But um, so many of the apps that are actually in use in China, which will probably be here in Canada and the United States in months, uh, uh, years if not months, um, they're fun and they're ways to spend money and maybe ways to earn money, but there's no such thing as privacy anymore. And I think it's turning invasions of privacy into a game, a lot of games. I mean, if you read the terms of service of, say, Instagram, it gives a non-exclusive license to Instagram to use your photo for whatever they want. Um, so when you upload a photo, when you take a video of yourself, you're giving the tech company the right to use that in any way they like. What if the way they like is in cahoots with the government, the police? We're in very dangerous places now, and I'm not sure if there's anyone who's properly on guard. That's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, good night, and keep fighting for freedom.